0: Yeah, that was part of it.
1: It's like us running Twitter right now, bro. This is what it's like. It's just a shit show.
0: (laughs) That was part of it. Part of it was uh, my theory on how Elon selling shares means that we're going to get good fourth quarter earnings. So my logic is it was a non-planned sale. And if it's a non-planned sale and the stock price materially drops after the sale, uh, that would make elon at risk for insider trading so Mm -hmm. so to go against that risk he must believe that the fourth quarter earnings are going to be good because that would be the single biggest catalyst if fourth quarter earnings were bad then the stock would likely dump and um, he would be exposing himself to risk therefore since we're through about half of december and they probably have projections of how the quarter's looking he must know that the uh, results in the fourth quarter are going to be at least as predicted, if nothing else. I think Got Brian it. had a different theory as to why he thought um, about the exercise of
2: options. That's what he was talking about. And if you want to take it, Brian, go for it. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why, you know, selling, you know, obviously a lot for Twitter, but I also think that um, if it was doing kind of a 4D chess move that he has the 304 million shares for the um, CEO 2018 uh, package. So he has to ex- execute those by 2028. So if I'm Elon, then I would want to do that <clears throat> over the next few months to, to um, you know, because I got to raise $7 billion to exercise the options and they got to pay taxes on those things. So it seems like um, tax-wise and other thing-wise, it would be, Ben, his benefit to do it now and, and somewhat even to our benefit because if it was down the road we have to, he have to sell more to pay the, the taxes on those things so that that's what i was thinking that maybe if you beat the stock down now do everything they had to do rip the bandage off and then set up to get you know, tw- your 20 billion dollars in cash then you would have all the cash to exercise and do everything else you need um post fact and then his three and four million shares plus the 430 has ne- now after telling how I many he did still end up with 20%. So it's a kind of thing where, you know, in the overall grand scheme of things, sequencing that way uh, might be beneficial. Um,
1: okay. So I guess my question is, could he have done the same say back in August when he did that first tranche or, or is it because of where the price is now that gives him the benefit? Help me understand it a little bit
2: better. I don't think it, 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 it's, if it's, um, the benefit is that um if you um exercise the um the options uh in <clears throat> there's some kind of like um a, a tax situation where you have to pay taxes against and when, when you pay less taxes if the share price is lower um is my, is my theory that um if, if the share price is lower he pays less taxes on the overall transaction is my theory.
1: okay Okay, gotcha.
2: But he he definitely has raised seven billion dollars to exercise. So if I'm gonna raise seven billion dollars, I raise it beforehand exercise and then and then do it.
1: Yeah. Hans or noah, do you guys have any thoughts around that?
3: I could take the counterpoint a little bit, just but uh, I'll preface that I, I know very little about finance, but I would I would guess though that Elon that's a lower priority as far as taxes go. Like Frankly, I feel like he can care less about that. And it's more about, like, I'm invested in Twitter. I'm going to make this happen. Like, if I'm selling shares, like, it's for a good reason. And it's that whole, you know, Twitter's taking the priority right now, um, which comes back to the previous conversations on this channel of of why, you know, people are getting frustrated.
4: Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my only comment would be if, you know, if that's the reason that he's selling, I think that would potentially be really good. Um, But... If it's a margin call, I think, you know, that's the other the other question based on the complexity of his financial situation. This may be more related to just he uh, was forced to sell shares to cover a margin call. So, you know, that's another possibility that's out there. But I certainly hope that it's the, the former rather than the latter.
1: Yeah. So what's interesting about this discussion is I actually caught um, part of the All In podcast. I don't know. I I, I know Hans, you're a big fan. I don't know if the rest of the panel listens. Phenomenal podcast. My God, it's so good. I recommend everybody who's listening to this right now. Like, I almost want you to leave and go listen to that podcast. Like, screw me, go listen to them. Okay, All In podcast. They're on YouTube. It's uh, if you're not familiar, it's basically a roundtable of um, of uh, Chamath. Uh, Jason Kalkanis, David Sachs, and uh, Adam Friedberg? Did I get the yeah. last one right? Yeah. yeah. And they're basically you know David. four... David. That's right. Uh, and they're basically four um, billionaires, very successful entrepreneurs, business people, and they sit down every single week and they discuss the latest going on with politics, the business world. They talk about Elon and Twitter and Tesla quite a bit as of late, and I caught some of it this morning. And uh, I think the way... Chamath was sort of uh, framing it is that it was it seems to have been related to some sort of personal financial situation as to why he's selling stock right now. Um, so I think regardless of regardless of why he's selling, the the thing that I think most people are are very frustrated about, which I hear constantly <laughs> in, in my comments, is that bro, do you you're doing this while you're on Twitter. And you're uh, you, there's a lot of noise around this. You're doing this during a bear market and it sucks so bad. Um, how do you guys think about that? Because I'm actually that's I think that's at the, at, the, uh, at the core of this. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Like I'm I, I'm trying to remove the individual decision to do what every citizen has a right to do, which is sell shares, especially especially if you're doing so uh, when you're legally bound that you can't sell shares as a public company. And as a, an executive, if you have material information that would otherwise say that your stock's going to perform worse in the future, which to me is a signal that says, hey, Q4 is going to be good. Q4 is going to be one good. It's going to be good. But put that aside. How do you guys navigate through this time and what sort of like things you're thinking through in this uh, very difficult time for the retail investor in Tesla? Well, how are you guys navigating through it through this?
0: Well, I'll take it. Um- First, first of all, the Twitter I'd heard, by the way, is an alternative. The reason why he had sold the shares was he had a loan on the Twitter uh, purchase that was at 11 and three quarters and he was paying off that loan. And it wasn't a margin call. It was a payoff of the loan because that 11 and three quarter interest rate would be a killer. So that would help his personal financial uh, position substantially. Uh, Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But what I will say as to the sale of stock, he has every right to sell the the stock, that's clear. I think it becomes a little muddy if he's selling Tesla stock, which is a public company, to finance his private business, Twitter. I mean, that's maybe arguably questionable. What the problem is, is him selling the Tesla stock in the public market. That is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I can only imagine he, you know, he calls up his broker at Merrill Lynch. He says, sell 7 million shares. Uh, I think the Merrill Lynch broker might speak to his colleagues who might short the stock that day. Um, and you know, as a result, every time you see, cause there's no reason if he's selling 7 million shares and they're trading 85 million shares that shouldn't kill the stock but if everybody knows he's selling 7 million shares and they go short the crap out of the stock because it's public that's why the stock's getting hammered and there is no logical way no there's no reason no logical reason for him to sell the stock the way he's doing it and I know Gary Black has mentioned it multiple times it just doesn't make any sense I don't understand the logic the benefit I just don't understand it. The only- sorry,
1: and sorry to interrupt. So, so what? Maybe help us describe what's the alternative? Because this is like I'm not I'm not financially savvy enough. Like I don't understand what the alternative is. Can you walk us through what the alternative would be?
0: And he could yeah. do a, a private block uh, trade, and it wouldn't be on the public market. He could he could trade it, you know, uh, in the dark pool. He could he could trade it so it doesn't impact the price. Number one and two, so it's not public information because everybody, all the brokers are going to trade on that information. I mean, we know that if the market opens up at uh, 6.30 Pacific and it starts trading at four o'clock in the morning, they're trading at four o'clock in the morning. They know that already. So he could do it privately. He could still sell the shares, but it won't have the dynamic impact on the stock that way.
1: Got it. Hansa. So you come off of mute. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I was just curious. I mean, from the panel, I'm just, anyone here is... And even in the comments, like, is it possible that, or what do you think the likelihood is that Elon has like a moral objection for some reason to selling these shares in the private market, kind of in a block trade away from the public markets, rather than giving retail Mm -hmm. investors the opportunity to buy those shares off of him when he has to liquidate.
2: Have we seen um, uh, private block sales, you know, in this 40 billion dollar range that's the, the the sum of all he's been doing right it's about 40 billion dollars at this point so yeah. this question is like can they is there the liquidity whatever within these things to, to make that work uh, is unclear to me um for, from my point of view you know it's, it's like you know i didn't connect the dots beforehand we gave certain clues about you know don't be a margin to it that, that some people think was this this uh, tell that he's going to do it um if he'd had planned it earlier um i i I view it as okay, it's beaten down. it may still be beaten down for another three months like maybe the a good q four only partially stabilizes things because at this point you have to kind of look at it in that whole you know how much trailing p e compression do we do we see like do we if we stayed at fifty then if we get thirty percent more uh, twelve months trans PE, we move up thirty percent, right but and go back to 200 something like that. But if um, we we get a good uh, 3% up number, you know, adding up from the, the previous four qu- you know, quarters, like last uh, Q4 2021 drops off, we add the, the good one, add about a buck of EPS. Um, you know, so we move up until there's trillion, pre and not compress anymore, value investors come in. But if we just drop from, that only helps us go down to 40 you know we, we were 50 to 40 and we're still floating around um i have you know the theory that you know through 2023 because we keep growing because we keep doing performance and i and i have reasons why it's going to like really really good that you know gary black says 26 billion dollars of um of net income for 2023 i'm thinking more like 30 plus but you know then you have the 40 pe you know, you know 1.2 um one point one one point two trillion at the end in january 2024 when you do that kind of thing so you start stepping up like the the i view the the increasing uh earnings as a safety net of like okay now we have value support you know we're at the point where we're getting the value support and then when we do even better than the everyone else is saying then we get the surprises and we get these surges up but only um or mainly at the um, uh, earnings call where they say, "Oh crap, you did do that good, right? You guys are right, right?" So until we can say, so so it's kind of this um, after the fact thing, and even the after the fact thing could be um, a delayed effect because we tripled in net income to get to this point, and we still, you know, went down, you know, from from last year, we still are down like you know half a third, you know, to a half or a third the value. So, um, this, but I think if we triple again, then we're in the range of the um, net income of Google and and um, and Microsoft. Although we're at the net income of Amazon now, but that doesn't seem to help us. But you know, we're at the the net income of of Google and Apple. Then we should be you know far higher valuation at, at their trillion. But if we triple again from that, you know, say to or double from that, in twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five then we're at, at Apple money. So then we're at the most cash rich company. And then, and then you're saying that we're going to be less than that. We're growing way faster than them. And we have that throwing out that kind of cash at that point, the, you know, sometime between there and then the psychological shift of, oh yeah, as much as I uh, don't like his tweets and Twitter and manage about that, he's the, the cash machine is so powerful. I cannot resist buying, it, you know, the warm buckets of the world, you know, whoever will step up and then we can say every time, every quarter, we know, okay, it's going to happen. Then we can trade on the, on that quarterly earnings to say, it's going to show this great stuff. And I have all kinds of things of like three or four major moves that I think will happen in 2023. That will be, uh, you know, playing into an even bigger story than just, just um, increasing production from Austin, Berlin and stuff.
1: Nice. No, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I love the different kind of thought mentalities and
3: different way people are thinking. For me, it really comes down to like catalysts, like what's pushing the stock up or down. And obviously, like the last few months, whether it's the macro environment or the specific doings of of Elon that have changed things for the worse currently. Um, And it's very frustrating. And obviously, there's um, that energy happening within the Tesla community. Um, but for me i i've, I've trying to be i'm trying to be self reflective of like is this an emotional thing i'm going through is this like a frustrating thing because um i feel like somebody's doing an injustice to me or whatever you want to describe that as but for me um i i played baseball um, and my family played baseball, so I I want to relate that to an analogy. Is like I feel like we're still in like the third inning, right? <laughs> and even though like we're striking out right now, um, you know, balls have been thrown or whatever you want to use there. Like I still feel like it's early in the game, and um, to me that helps me reground and refocus. Of like, yes, these are all very frustrating things. Yes, I think mistakes are being made, um, but I'm not in it for um, the short term, and that's what I have to remind myself about because. I can get frustrated and we're all going to be affected by this in different ways. And that helps me like self-reflect on that. And also um, helps me think critically of like, how do I continue to get better and continue to not let this bother me as much.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. I I think a lot of people are are in your shoes, you know, Uh, Hans, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to take it back to something that you continually
4: say. And I want to remind the audience that you need to learn, especially if you want to be an investor who is able to realize outsized gains, you absolutely 100% no ifs, ands, or buts about it, have to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And that the investors who have been rewarded in Tesla that you admire, they had to, going back to Farzad's video. Uh, this week and also galley like they had to and i would put myself in this camp you know i was an investor in the 2018 2019 fud years um so i don't go back all the way to 2012 or 2011 um but it was a hard time to hold the stock and a hard time to own the stock and there was a lot of research that we had to put in a lot of work and so if you arrived at the stock in 2020 2021 and it had already gone flying and you thought you were going to con- make the same type of gains from there that people who held the stock when it was really difficult made. That's you're basically thinking that you're going to get something for nothing. And unfortunately, that's just an emotional trap that we're all susceptible to. Um, and I really like the way that Dave thinks about this. You know, he basically, you know, Dave Lee, he said he thinks about his portfolio. Basically, the actual value is about. of the mark that you see on the screen when he looks at it, he just discounts it in his mind. It's only worth, you know, take 70% off of that. And that's essentially what we've seen here in this year is that that's how much the valuation has come down. And the reason for that is that, yeah, we were just in a crazy PE bubble. Um, And now I think the, finally the bear case in my mind that made sense that no one, you know, this is the case that the bears did not make clearly that now I can steal man in retrospect, that you really want to value, you want to assign a PE to a company that is really, really safe. And they kept saying, you know, 30 PE is too high, 40 PE is too high, 50 PE is too high, 100 PE is too high. And we're like, yeah, but look at the growth, look at the growth, look at the growth. Well there is probably going to be in the cycle of markets, there's going to be a market that comes around when, yeah, just because today we're comfortable with 100 PEs does not mean a year from now, anyone is going to be comfortable with 100 PE. It might be 25. It might be 15. It might be 10. It might be five. Um, And so if you're making your purchase decisions based on, yeah, I can buy at 50 75 100 pe and i can expect to make profit in the near term you are leaving yourself very susceptible to that pe compression loss and that's what we've seen whereas if you're much more disciplined in your value approach in the companies that you're willing to even consider then you know you hedge that downside a lot now like we've talked about the long-term future of Tesla is great and no one executes like Elon executes. Um, The product roadmap is still the most exciting product roadmap in tech business period. And so easily (laughs) if you, yeah, if you feel like, Oh man, I made the mistake. I, I overpaid for Tesla. As long as you can sit on your butt and not sell it, for the next five years, in hindsight, it will be a minor mistake that you're like, yeah, I probably should have been a little bit more disciplined in my cash deployment strategy, but overall it still worked out great. And so try not to beat yourself up. Um, I know that a lot of people are in a margin situation where they're getting margin called. Um, I'm actually in that camp a little bit. I have a small position where I was adding what I thought was a very conservative amount of margin. Um, you know, only 10 or 20% that's come down so much since I was buying in the, I think my cost basis on that small position is somewhere in the maybe 240, 260 range. Um, cause I started up just under 300 and then I was buying on the way down. And, uh, so I'm, I'm right on the line right now. In fact, I mean, there's a very real possibility that they're selling a couple of my shares right now, uh, depending on what the price <laughs> is today. But that's okay. Like it's a very right. small position, and it's not a you know that that was play money, and so I don't have to worry about that. Um, and like I said, it'll only be a couple of shares that end up being to be liquidated to to stay in compliance. So as long as we don't keep going too much further, and yeah, like I I can probably put in a little bit of cash and and float that. But overall, my my retirement holdings, you know, no margin, no leverage ever, and. I can just weather these 70% drawdowns with a yawn. And uh, so I think this is a time just to be reminded of why the conservative people who were warning against margin, who were warning against uh, trying to YOLO options, you know, this is why they were right. So it's a great learning opportunity and experience in the markets.
3: Yeah, I think for me too, if you look at the the bear argument, like nothing has really changed. You know, I mean, Twitter, yes, there's there's some small things that make a difference. But, like, is Tesla delivering less cars? Are they making less cars? Are Berlin and Texas ramping le- You know, like, yeah, of course they are. You know, like, there are still positives there. And, yeah, even though right now it may look like um, it's it's not working out currently and, you know, b- the Bears are celebrating, like, I, I think it's just a matter of time before we get the turnaround.
0: What I was going to say is I think it's um... – it's just purely psychological in, in this respect is people feel trapped because they lose control because they don't have, they don't have an ability to, to opt out. I mean, I'm long, long, long. So I bought this morning and I was thinking about buying while we're on stream. I'm going to buy uh Hans's shares. If I, if we're sitting here, <laughs> um, Uh, it was you (laughs) yeah but i and i'm not selling so i'm looking literally my time frame is i'm looking at 2033 that's my time frame but i don't like the fact that i'm so underwater that i can't sell the shares if like some emergency came up or something like that and losing that control makes most people really uncomfortable and really unhappy and that's just a strictly a human emotion so I think notwithstanding whatever the fundamentals are and that long term it's great, in the short term we all it we all feel like we're kind of stuck and that's not fun.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Noah.
3: No, yeah. I I for the first time looked at my portfolio this morning and saw a negative net worth <laughs> or not ne- no, sorry, negative total investment, right? So I was usually positive in my investments and now I'm negative. Um, and I feel like I'm we're developing callous on our hands. You know, like it's it's just part of and the investing journey and, and part of the thing, like you you can't have the good times without the bad, for sure.
2: <clears throat> for me, it's also like, uh, I had, um, a, f- a friend who's a, um, ex fund manager. And, um, and so he has some detailed financial models and stuff like that. And he told me back, um, in like <clears throat> April or May or something like that, uh, March, something like that, even before the, um, the COVID shutdown and other stuff like that, he said that the. The macro thing was was flashing this monster sell signal, so he had the information saying that um, this whole macro environment thing was going to go to total crap, right? So he, he told me to sell that, huh? you know, a thousand bucks, you know, you know, nine hundred bucks, you know, before we did a split, and yeah, it can go down. I can see that. Yeah, it can go down. But I was thinking, you know, like seven hundred, and then things would. Um, and things would recover so i could sell but then i'd have the tax hit so i thought okay i just avoid it so now we're down to the equivalent of like you know sub 500 400 bucks and so i could have sold and you know recovered like honestly i could have I had an opportunity there but it was kind of like um you know it was how you know the, the depth of it and also the fact that we did the double thing where like we got back you know did uh, 600 got back up to 900. And then just over the last 45 days, just utterly crushed back down again, right? So the second leg down was a really hurtful one because if we get 700 back 900, I'm still feeling, oh yeah, I I I didn't get a tax benefit because I didn't know how to play that. You know, who thought it would be like this much stuff going on? And then, but now we're down again. Um, so then that goes to that I think the relief, some relief happens January 2nd and. Um, and January 21st when we get the the, the fourth quarter I'm expecting that to be good, not great. Um, but Q1, then that's the first three months where they'll reveal what does uh, the inflation reduction act really do to Tesla's profitability and I think that's um, somewhat underestimated by by mostly analysts and they're factoring in they forget about it. not just the direct battery payments but you know the fact that you're getting 13% discount in every car uh, that model three model y. And you're getting a, um, you know, twenty percent or more discount. I think on the the mega packs, which can have a delayed reaction because they pre-sold them all. But then also the the Lathrop ramp, you know, we went from one to two gigawatt hours. We'll see what happens there in Q4. If it went to four and then six, four gigawatt hours of energy and then six gigawatt hours of energy, we could hit that tipping point where we're just like the ramp of Austin Berlin. Goes from um, we're making money, but it's uh, not offsetting the the capex and whatever other things we're opex things that we're doing uh, on the factory, the Lathrop factory, same deal. We're only at you know one gigawatt hour of that production maybe, and then one gigawatt hour of power uh, power walls from Nevada. So then if that goes can go up to you know can go up to ten gigawatt hours because you have forty gigawatt, and they could be lowballing the forty gigawatt hour capacity of Lathrop. Right, that that gets to um, the twenty percent margin thing, and if you have another twenty percent from the Inflation Reduction Act, that thing could have forty percent, fifty percent. And so that uh, is a potential thing that can play out over twenty twenty three. The other thing would be the FSD if they finally get it off beta, not just the the um, the uh, fully recognize the revenue. So if you pay me fifteen thousand, I I recognize fifteen thousand, same five hundred and then, and that playing out through each quarter. Um, but also the fact that at some point they get confident enough to say, um, have that free month, all you 1.5 million people who bought it before, here have a free month, try it out. It's, it's really, really good. It's comfortable, blah, 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 right? So when did that happen? I think sometime in 2023, hopefully in the first half, maybe in the first quarter. And then I'm now thinking first half, I think there's some delays in getting that up to speed. The other thing is that once they have the data that says this thing is much much safer, or at least as safe as the average human driver, they can do the in- insurance FSD bundle. You are a crappy driver. You pay high insurance. Here, you are pay four hundred dollars per per month on insurance. Have the two hundred dollar FSD. You must have it turned on all the time. We, we can see you have it turned on all the time. Now. You know your combined thing is still the same and you have fsd or you have um uh insurance plus fsd where the fsd only cost you 100 bucks and back when um fsd was at the hundred vertical equivalent or six thousand dollars or whatever the take rates on that were as high as you know 40 percent, right so we have some historical evidence of when the price is lower that it is at that higher take rate but if you combine insurance with it to get the uh Net effect of uh, lower price, right Then you do. and the and the better it gets, that's they can offer more and more people the insurance FSD bundle. It makes more sense for them and makes more sense for people. So there'll be a financial thing where we go up to really high take rates, which is this bridge between us and Robotaxi, right? So that then that is you know farther you have the the models where we have really high take rates in FSD. This is the, the mechanism, two mechanisms of free trials, try it, and then two, bundle it with insurance. And then um, you get to in high take rates, which we all know is insane insane profit. That's right. right. And the other thing about the, the SSD thing subscription is, if they do the subscription thing, oh, it's less impact, but then it's that sweet, sweet cloud computing revenue, the subscription revenue, right? Where the analysts can model it out and say, okay, you made a billion dollars in in subscription revenue, but it's going to keep coming, right? So they love that, and they can model that out. The, the Gary Blas can yeah. say, "Oh yeah, now the numbers look great, right?" So energy becoming real, and then with FSD, how they can make that good, and and the Inflation Reduction Act, um, when they can fully capture those things, because they're going to transition to the point where, one, they raise prices in a year or two, two years out, you know, on the, all the other products, the energy products, they get to the scale on the batteries. And then they also can make transition to the point where they have to become their own energy company, where they can sell to themselves, they still sell the other guys to the PG and everyone else. But then they also do their own, like sticking mega packs everywhere, which I have a longer yeah. story about that.
1: Yeah, so I think what you did a phenomenal job just now, Brian is outlining a very clear a path for Tesla as a company to be almost a no-brainer investing opportunity, especially at these levels, right? I think you've done an excellent job at outlining that. So um, let me let me push back a little bit on that. And, and so there is a theory that there is a coupling of Elon Musk to that story and that the stock's performance is 100% coupled to Elon Musk as the individual versus it being a Tesla story. How do you think about that? And I would love to hear the panel's thoughts about that as well, because that's that's sort of the prevailing theory that's from, from folks within say the Tesla community that are concerned about what's happening right now, that what you've described doesn't really matter if the leader is gonna make it all go to shit, right? So how, how do you think about that?
2: So I think the all these things um, are mature enough to where the company has done it it's just like um steve job dies but um cook can still iterate on iphone he can still iterate on itunes none of that stuff blows up the next innovations may not be driven to right that could be an argument that elon can't do that although i would say um there's that scene in um the uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes where he's saying, um <clears throat> I'm talking to, to Moriarty outside, but inside my methods are still in the room. The um so that's Watson it, working with the other person to still solve a case, right? They're not as good as Sherlock, but they're good enough kind of thing. So I say that there's enough stuff mature, like all the things that I described, FSD mature. You know, the fact that um, the Kapathi leaves, the Elon leaves, <clears throat> that work is still there. It, it doesn't. They don't rip up the code, right? And then two, the insurance. That's all there. Seventy percent of the uh, U.S. Um, where Tesla sells, like fifty percent of the states, whatever, but seventy percent because California has more. Texas and Florida have more. So and Washington. So so that is still not my thesis on that is unchanged, right? And then the um, the energy. Right. They built the laser plan. Right. And I also say the semi is mature. Right. Because they released it, they showed it. And I, I feel that that actually, you know, that's a bigger thing I'm gonna talk about well, where I think semi and, and uh, mega pack that is um master plan three. and I can just des- describe how they get to, to eight gigawatt, eight terawatt hours, 10 terawatt hours based on that scenario in, in within sure. 15, 20 years. So, uh, all that's mature. So it's only the stuff beyond that. So uh, Steve Cook, you know, the um, Drew Baglino, they can all handle taking us there. Those things are mature. There's stuff beyond that, but you know, there's a lot that's mature.
1: How does the rest of the panel think about that? Who wants to tackle that?
0: Well, I'll go for it. Uh, Yeah, so I was just thinking about it and I thought about it at the time. Can you imagine what the press and would make of the situation and what the impact of, on Tesla stock would have been if what occurred at that factory, the Foxconn factory, at the Apple Foxconn factory, if that was the Tesla factory, that was like a complete pass. That
1: I'm was, talking about people jumping off the roof. Yeah, right? like,
0: that was yeah. like a complete pass. Apple got a complete pass. If that was Tesla, I guarantee we'd be at like 20% that day. And uh, the press would be like foaming, literally foaming at the mouth, de- describing it. Tim Cook does get a pass. I mean, there is a difference. Apple doesn't, it hasn't dumped like everything else. Their performance has not been great. I mean, if you look at their performance, they're going to underperform. They're not going to produce enough iPhones. They're obviously having problems in China, but they get a pass. And part of that is because Tim Cook gets a pass and Elon does not. And I think in my mind, unfortunately, and it may change because, you know, this is all dynamic and so he's in the shithouse right now. But a year from now, he might be the star because he develops something that uh, gets rid of smog or or something. But for now, he's in the in the crapper. And I think ultimately what ha- has to happen is, again, Tesla has to reestablish its own brand independent of Elon, and it's got to be based on the products. And it's obviously, to me, this is like the most obvious thing. Clearly, the Cybertruck is the ch- game changer because that takes the focus off of Elon. It puts it directly on Tesla, and it's a remarkable product, and it's going to get immense attention. And I think that's the ultimate game changer.
4: Yeah, I think the, um Warren Buffett's quote about in the long term, the stock market is a weighing machine. And in the short term, it's an opinion machine or a voting machine. Um, I like that quote, but I kind of think about it in a little bit less black and white way that there's a large portion of the stock price in the short term that is just based on sentiment. And then over the long term, the majority of the stock price is going to be based on execution. Um, but it's a spectrum, and it's never one hundred percent sentiment or one hundred percent execution. And you know you can have such bad se- like you can have sentiment so bad that it actually is a negative contribution to your stock price over whatever time frame that you want to look at. Um, so, yeah, that's I think in the long run, I think all of that execution, just like Brian was saying, you know, there's so much that's baked in that's solid. Like we're not gonna see the only the only current hit to Tesla stock that is not on a fundamentals of the execution company or the the fundamentals of the execution of the company right now is just the demand question that's out there. And I think that in a world where we're heading into, as Brian mentioned, the IRA. Basically, demand has been by the government backstop, just like they backstopped the economy in COVID. The government has backstopped demand for EVs for the foreseeable future to such a degree that these demand questions are absolutely irrelevant. Um, Tesla can more than manage around whatever markets are hot, whatever markets are cold, to produce a significant, you know, basically the maximum number of EVs that they can produce to accelerate the advent of sustainable transportation. Um, And so if demand is the reason that you believe that Tesla's future is less secure now than before, well, take that off the table. So that means there are no fundamental risks to the business of Tesla that should give you question about the long-term. So if your investment horizon is over the long-term and you don't have to sell while sentiment is negative and holding down the stock price, then, you know, you you can have faith that just continue to watch the execution. They're moving forward. I expect to see pretty good Q4, and um, you know it may not be stellar, but it'll be stellar compared to all of the competition. You know, GM's not going to grow deliveries or profits. Ford's not going to do that. And so, you know, if you look at what else is out there, this is still the only opportunity
1: like it. Yeah. Um, shout out to, uh, we just broke a thousand live viewers. Thank you all very much for joining us. Very open, honest debate. And this is why I love having these on Fridays with the uh, with the community. Thank you all very much for, like a producer wife. Thank you, producer wife, with your amazing production skills of uh, clicking the mouse. Love you. Uh, Noah, go ahead.
3: Thanks. Yeah, I, I think it is true or there is some truth in the thought of like tesla is ultimately rooted in elon and so when people think of tesla they think of elon which could be a good thing but i'm probably going to say something controversial which i love not really but um Do the it. thought it's, is like it
1: feels really good
3: yes now i've seen it in the comments i've seen it on other youtube channels that um pe- we can quickly idolize elon like and put him up on this pedestal this godlike um person right um and i i think that's what's drawn me to Farzad's channel is he's able to humanize Elon and say, just because he's good at this, doesn't mean he's good at everything. You know, like, so that kind of, um, mind break, you know, is helpful. I I think we can easily get a false sense of the aggregate is like, he's going to be successful at everything. And and it's not true. So, um, going back to work comment about, um, I think Tesla needs to find its own success and its own um, way of standing on its own feet. And I think Q4 may be that because it's obvious to us, at least, that Elon has been distracted with Twitter and other things. But what if Tesla has an outstanding fourth quarter? What if, you know, they hit deliveries and they do all these things and pretty much Elon was not there? I think that would help us um, in a broader sense understand that it's not just Elon pushing Um, you know, the wins here, you know, and Farzad's talked about how great the team is and how there's many people helping with this. And I have one quick thought. I'm sorry, I'm going for a while here. No, please take as long as you want. If you think of Elon from a leadership perspective, and and like his characteristics, I, I think he's clearly a pioneer. Like he wants to do the newest thing. He's not, he's not wanting to manage a team. He's not wanting to do the same repetitive thing over and over again. He wants to be in the weeds, starting from the ground up and building something from the ground up. And so he's going to c- continue to do that. Um, I think Farzad said this on Herbert's uh, interview a couple of days ago, but um, Elon in a couple of years is going to look for the next thing and like figure out the next way to of innovating the next, you know, so that's never going
2: to stop with him. Yeah. <clears throat> ahead, I had a, I had a point that, uh, one of the things that um, um, makes me confident in the, the people in Tesla, one you see the, the Drew Baglino's and the and Jack Kirkhorn, other people on the calls, you know that the effective team looked really solid. And then you see, you know, okay, um, Kapati leaves and he but he was great. And then you see, you know, the next um, AI person step up and, th- and they're great. And then you have Farzad and you had Joe Justice. And knowing that the that is within Tesla is something that, that gives me a lot of confidence. And also the fact that, you know, you see the, um, the teardowns from Sandy Monroe, right. And he, and he's talking about, you know, all these, you know, oh, they took up this switch, they redid this HVAC and this stuff, you know, that's not, Elon isn't, you know, a superhuman, you know, redoing all that stuff. That's the team that's doing that stuff, right. The fact that you have that team, which is, you know, far stronger than the uh, Toyota production methods, like before, pre-Tesla, that was the gold standard. And then now you have this uh, ability to do digital twinning. To in everyone is chasing that, and then all the air production. So the um and the the digital self-management, all of those things where they can change on the fly and and do that. That's all structures and methods within, which is not one person. It's it's. It's set up as a software, um, uh, hardware like software methodology for agile, but that is all in place. And that does, again, does not blow up, right? That is something that was one incredibly difficult to do. Any company trying to pivot over to that has got this, you know, five, 10 year journey to make that happen. And, or even have to start up from scratch to try and make it happen. Um, And the speed of that execution, that manufacturing and uh, uh, whatever excellence. Is, is all there. It, nothing to do at this point with Elon. Elon leaves, that, that's still there. Like I guess in theory, over time, somehow he's the North Star that keeps that on track. But I, I don't think so. Like if you've executed on that for that many years, you know, Fadad, you can talk to that. Like, you know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the way I view it and I'll throw it over to, to Rob, which I think I just noticed those are your initials and that's why you use that potentially. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get it. Um, so... Yeah, I think I think the point that was made around Elon being the the long term visionary of the company. So, like for example, Tesla Bot, I don't think gets done without Elon. I just don't think so because it's way too ambitious. It's way too batshit crazy. It's going to require a lot of uh, ingenuity and and skills that Elon brings to the table. Absolutely. And uh, and I want to be a hundred percent clear in this, and I know everybody in this panel agrees with this, but just in case folks are not hearing it, we're not saying. And correct me if I'm wrong. We're not saying get rid of Elon for Tesla. That's not at all what we're saying. Right. Not at all. And I see a lot of head shakes. Exactly. There is a lot of there is a lot of um, things that Elon does brilliantly and extremely well. And he has a very great core set of strengths. And I would argue some of them overlap more than people think. But he's not perfect. And I think idolizing him in in that respect is hurtful to for people to be able to think clearly during tumultuous times. And so I think that's the overall message here that has to be taken away. But as, as far as him being a, a long-term uh, impact for Tesla, I think it's 100% accurate. So Tesla bought, but the completion of FSD, I think it gets there without Elon. Uh, the, the complete 20 million cars per year, 100% gets there without Elon. The ramp of energy, 100% gets there without Elon. And these mm-hmm. are multi-trillion dollar opportunities. And so as an investor, as somebody that's looking for an opportunity long-term, I think that is the correct lens to look at it. It doesn't mean, oh, think of think of Tesla as being successful without Elon. No, it's like, hey, diagnose the problem. Use the current set of variables that are happening right now in real life with the bear market, Elon, Twitter, Tesla, uh, all this macroeconomic staff, uh, stuff, rather. And then start breaking down your thesis. You know, hey, what happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? And I think that's what this panel has done such a brilliant job. Thank you so much for joining me today because... This live this live discussion is really bringing to light, I believe, the fundamental nature of Tesla as a story, as an investment and how just powerful it is, regardless of all the stuff that's going on around it. Right. Um, But I do think Tesla bought in long term, Elon is important. But even without that vision, I just have a hard time finding anything else that's nearly as exciting as Tesla is. So, um, no, go ahead.
3: I think the visionary perspective is, is crucial for Elon, and he, he's just a starter. He, he wants to get the thing up from the ground up, and a lot of entrepreneurs are like that. They want to start from zero and work their way up, and once it has momentum, like Farzad just named a bunch of projects that already have that momentum and that um, trajectory, then Elon doesn't need to babysit that anymore. Like He hands it off to the capable team that runs with it, and he moves on to the next thing.
0: And I had an interesting experience over about the past 10 days, which kind of gave me a different view of how other people see Elon. So I've been involved. There's a company called Meta Materials, which is, which spun off some stock, a preferred stock, which was shorted. And there's a dispute, it's like an AMC GME situation. And um, it coincides with the SEC just made some new changes in regulations, which might correlate to that. But this is like uh, 65,000 shareholders and I've been amongst them and maybe 10,000 of them. And they look to Elon and none of them are Tesla bulls, by the way, but they look to Elon, literally, they send tweets to Elon, looking for assistance because they see him as their ally. And I never had that experience. So, you know, we hear all the crap, but there's plenty of people out there that see him as really their ally. And he's their, you know, he's somebody that they look to to help for assistance and they trust. So despite whatever misgivings I have, it gave me a different kind of perspective on how others saw him. Go Hans.
4: What kind of help are they looking for from?
0: Uh, they, they would like him to, I think, just publicize it on Twitter. Uh, there's an issue about FINRA and the SEC and that they kind of participated in. And let it occur, and they were seeking assistance from Elon to kind of take the cause on. Okay,
1: that's very helpful to know. Um, how much of the how much of the current like environment that Tesla's trading in? How do you guys think about macroeconomic uh, macroeconomic bear market and like Elon, like those three things, right? Like, how do you guys think about like the probabilistic nature of how the like the PE is compressing, because that's really what's happening here. It's not the fundamentals, it's the PE. How do you guys think about that? How you're navigating through that? Uh, I would love to hear the, the panel's um, thoughts on this, in the short term, at least.
3: I think Sandy Monroe had a really great quote of like, everything comes down to a math problem. And I think you just explained the three variables, or at least three of the variables that I think make up this current market condition.
1: I don't know. We we spent uh maybe we spent the first 50 minutes talking through it, but um yeah, I, so I think that was a, just a redundant question. Why are you letting guys let me talk even? You guys have been doing such oh, a I good have, job.
0: I, I think <laughs> it was redundant, I thought it was a brilliant question. But uh I was gonna say is I think in the current time macro is uh you know realistically 90 percent, because I think all the Elon stuff goes away if the macro goes away. So again, and we we've had Discussions about this: the price, the stock price is five hundred bucks. We're not bitching about Elon; he can do whatever he wants. We're not bitching; he's our hero. But if the stock price is a buck and a half, uh, he can't do right. So I think current time frame, all stocks are doing terrible. So macro dominates, and we emphasize Elon when macro changes. We'll de-emphasize Elon's uh, bad stuff, and we'll emphasize his good stuff.
1: Got it.
2: I think though the 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 macro is uh, something that will shift over the next you know three months, six months, you know it will you know the Fed will will stop raising rates. It could happen sooner, it could happen later, but you know no one sees it going much more than about um, you know three to six months, right? I think um, the strong case is at three months, but you know whatever. So then that's a transitory thing. and then we start flat and then we can start going dropping rates. So then we have that turn the um elon sentiment that could that could last where if um even if twitter gets stronger twitter becomes a a billion users it's wechat it's all that kind of stuff um the fact that it's not um like uh facebook and and google and and apple a hundred percent left you know a hundred percent left you know six percent woke right if it's not that then it's considered the enemy of of the left and and of the, the left media, right? So um, Elon staying that enemy because he controls this other thing. It's just like um, Rupert Murdoch and and Fox. They're uh, perpetually um, the, the bad guys, right? Forever and ever and ever, right? So that is um, even if if Elon's center center right you know not as, as far as, as fox he's on the not completely left side right so that means that this um thing for elon um i think stays and the, and the more powerful the more successful twitter becomes the the bigger the enemy he, be, he, he is for the the politicians and for all that kind of stuff so so i think the the macro it'll go away and then the macro could come back in you know three years four years whatever right so so that's a transitory thing. In general, it it will become better. And then with the third one, with the macro. Uh, Elon. The fact that in
1: fact, there were a bear bear market, but I guess it's a little bit tied to macro.
2: In LA, yeah, a little bit bear, tied tied tied, up, tied to macro. Yeah, the bear market doesn't last. Like even the Great Depression is is over. And then I'm of the the mind that the um, the overall economy um, is is not. You know, there there the, 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 the are some problems with it. I don't, uh, I see that the if you're gonna turn if it can be fine on that.
1: Got it. Uh Hans, go ahead. Any thoughts there? You made it.
4: Yeah, I um I don't think I really have anything to add to that. That's pretty much how I see it. Brian's okay. pretty much in my head today.
1: <laughs> yeah brian thank you so much for joining us today new addition thank to the you. panel amazing mm-hmm. insight seriously this but this has been a really fun discussion um is the panel thinking about a uh sort of a place to take the conversation to next from what we've talked about um who wants to go ahead have, brian
2: go ahead please. so so i i had my big point which i yeah, i made some videos and other stuff about, uh, talk about a few other channels. Um, but you next know, big so, future, or, is that the channel? Next future. Next big future. Oh, yeah. go subscribe. Thank you. <laughs> uh, also is that, um, I view the, sem- the semi delivery day as the secret master plan three delivery day that, um, the, um, economic, um, pure win that the semi is that you can go... 500 miles, which is, you know, roughly double what the other guys can do. Like if you, if you, the Nicholas had 330 miles, but you need to pay $300,000 for it or more, and it's heavier. There's issues that they had to do in order to achieve the 330 miles, the 500 miles and actually really 540 is uh, far more, no compromise. You know, does this solve everything? Is it long haul? You know, I've had based on that. No, right. You need to have the, Charging network, you need to really up the range to 800 miles in order to really beat long haul. The long haul, you know, maybe it's only like 20 percent or whatever. I think there's like 40 percent of the Pepsi, Coca-Cola cars that are more this short haul range. So, of the um, four million total trucks in the United States, if you're only addressing 25 percent of the market, that's one million trucks, right? And if you're having 270,000 per year sales. Then that would be you know on the order of you know sixty thousand ninety thousand per year, which is you know beyond the fifty thousand that they're targeting for twenty twenty four, right? And then you go to Europe and you have to have a dedicated factory in Europe, which is even a bigger market than the United States. You have to make some different truck, you have to do some smaller uh, cab thing in order to to fit their roads and that kind of stuff. But you'd have that market easy to do relatively easy to do that shift in terms of the cab and then asia is the biggest at, at um four times bigger than europe and the united states combined because china is the factory of the world and that's there so the economics of it is the if i'm driving 100,000 miles with this big heavy truck i'm spending 60 to 80,000 dollars per year on diesel fuel plus i'm spending another two thousand to four thousand dollars per year switching up my brake pads so that versus less than $17,000 for using my Tesla Semi because it, um, it, uh, you know, let's say 10 cents wholesale, um, 170,000 kilowatts to drive a hundred thousand miles, which will region braking as well, region braking as well. Yeah. So you have that big um, uh, savings. So if you say, okay, the, um, if I was to scale the price of semi down to, you know, one third to say it's a high priced uh, model Y, right. Then it's, um, I'm taking that savings of, of sixty thousand, eighty thousand $80,000 dividing it by three, that's 20,000 to $30,000 versus $4,000 of fuel savings for a model Y. So Sorry, just, dividing you
1: know, by three help, help me understand the dividing by three logic there.
2: Um, if it's like a 200, Uh, two hundred and ten thousand dollars to get to seventy thousand dollars. So, to two fifty minus forty thousand dollars for a tax credit, two ten, and then you seventy thousand dollars for a Model Y. Then you have three times that, right? Got it. So, or if it's one hundred eighty, you know, whatever. If you have that price range, if you buy by four as well. You can buy by four. Yeah, yeah. I'm just um, making the ratio
1: savings basically.
2: Right. The ratio is instead of saving the equivalent to four thousand dollars per year. I'm saving like twenty thousand, maybe thirty thousand dollars per year, because it's so much better. So the, I view that as a financial signal that says this is four times, five times, six times better, you know, even close to eight times better, of of a financial deal than if you thought Model Y was good, right? Then this is is four, to, you know, four to eight times better, right? Mm. And that four to eight times. So it's basically like if we suddenly had a Model Y. That could save twenty thousand dollars per year. So your payback is three years, You if you pay seven thousand dollars, or four years, right? That's the kind of financial deal, and I call it the the offer that the uh, that the truck fleet owners can't refuse, right? Mm. That they, that is is that good a financial deal? Yes, it's only for twenty five percent of the market for now, and then for more later. But when you get up to that level, you're on the path to taking over all of trucking. And the reason they say they take over all the of trucking is, it took five years for Freightliner, the current biggest uh, trucking company, trucking manufacturer, which is also owned by Daimler, to get to eCascadia. eCascadia does 230 miles, right? And you know, on a pretty big path. And that's their 30, electric
1: truck, right? E-Cascadia? That's their electric truck.
2: Right? eCascadia is their electric semi, which is 30% less efficient. That 2.2 kilowatt hours per per mile versus 1.7 and the elon set going to 1.6 which you've seen we've seen all those um um matt uh, was it um the the efficiency thing that for 10 years the um the model 3 model y model s have this battery efficiency thing 20 percent, 30 percent advantage over all the competition right um and i've i've those tables to updated them from um the other person who did it um um, anyway, on Twitter, I remember his name. Anyway, so the point is that drivetrain, that electric efficiency is something that's sustainable 10 years, to, and it's, it's something that takes 10 years for the other guys to kind of like get in there. But if they're not even catching up as fast, if Tesla goes from 1.7 to 1.5, them taking 10 years to get from 2.2 to 1.7, it just means that they're irrelevant. To the road, I view it as like model three, 300 miles coming out in 2017 versus the 100, 120 mile Nissan Leaf, right? You get that Mm -hmm. 80, 90% advantage. And I think in this case, because there's so much on the economics of it, it is virtually 100%, but you know, like fine, 80%. So, but then the other thing is that you must have mega packs in order to do, to get these savings. In order to save 20,000 bucks, I must have mega pack either on site or nearby bought or leased somewhere that Megapack pack must be available. The reason being mm. is the reason being is um, from my substation, from my going into my factory, I can get 300 kilowatts, right? In order for me to have a non four hour, eight hour charge of my truck, right? In order to get down to that half hour or less than an hour charge, I must have a mega pack to step up the voltage, right? And also, in order to not have insane peaks, draws one they can't even get because they only can get three hundred kilowatt hours. Two that if I could draw it, the utilities would say, "What the f are you doing? Right, you can't do that," you, you, and they're going to charge you more for the energy. Right. So in order to have that, I must buffer it. And I must step up the voltage. I must have a mega pack, The megapack at three point nine megawatt hours per. That's six charges. Six seventy percent charges of um five hundred mile semi because five hundred mile semi nine hundred kilowatt hours six hundred to seven hundred kilowatt hours I can do six charges before it's done. So if I'm doing it over twenty four hour period, right, I must have a ratio of roughly five six to one. I must have a megapack to do daily charging because my trucks I'm going to using every day. So I must charge them every day, right? I must have a megapack one mega pack at $2.1 million for every five trucks. So every five trucks being, um, you know, what is it? Uh, if it's, it's assume 200,000 after discount, a um, you know, then that would be uh, $1 million of trucks, but I must have $2 million of a mega pack. Right. But it, it, I may not buy it, you know, cause whatever it may be leased, you know, but Tesla would get 30% margin on that. So they must deploy mega packs all over. For that so if i'm going to 50 000 um semi trucks in 2024 if they hit that goal maybe it takes a year later whatever then they must have about the 10 000 megapacks per year to go along with those right five mm. to one which is a of production latent production so they must have that right so that means it guarantees the energy deployment for tesla it, d- it means semi they win semi completely and also, I think that also means they win most of um, cyber truck level stuff as well, medium cyber trucks. I can go into that case. Um uh, so that trucking is semi-1 trillion dollars, four million trucks per year globally. And then uh, all the cyber trucks, medium trucks, that's another trillion, that's two trillion dollars. And then the energy thing at being double that size, that's like another four trillion. And that goes to the terawatt hours. And also the case of competition. They must have batteries, battery factories, trucks, truck factories, and they must be producing you know all that at scale. Tesla reassigns the Nevada 40 gigawatt hours uh, of nickel 2170s to semi fully by 2024. They shift over and, and other things to CATL batteries, uh, which they have supply. CATL has 80 gigawatt hours that they're ready to give them and more. And they have the lather factory, so the Lathrop factory, Nevada factory exists. Semi factory exists. All ready to go, ramp up at scale to the forty gigawatt, fifty thousand truck, ten thousand megapack level. All mm. will execute by twenty twenty four, right? And if they're a year late, it's twenty twenty five, right? Mm. So it's all their production thing to get to like to scoop up the winnings that they will have on this the other is but there's no competition thing. no no i'm gonna take a huge chunk of that i'm gonna prevent you from
1: yeah no. no you're making an excellent case here um i a lot to absorb there and i saw hans go, come off come off mute there and, and we'll continue this for sure hans did you did you want to share some thoughts um yeah
4: yeah i just want to make sure people well so the the thing i came off mute for was a little bit separate point and i'll bring that back in in just a second but just to drive the point home You know, what he's saying is, we talked about one semi being 13 model-wise worth of batteries, roughly, Uh, maybe a little bit less. Because I think the it ended up, instead of being one megawatt hour, estimates are that it's like 900 kilowatt hours. Um, And so, okay, maybe that's 12. Yeah, but if you need basically the equivalent, I mean, the, the shortcut in math is you need as much battery in your mega pack as you have in your truck to be able to charge it every day. Um, And so you double the total cell output that you need in order to build out the infrastructure necessary to actually operate those trucks. And so now instead of 12 model-wise, you're talking about 24 model-wise. Okay, so if you multiply the 50,000 trucks in 2024 number by 24, uh, somebody help me do easy math. What is that? 50
1: times 24? 24. 1.2
4: million?
1: Yeah, so that's... 1.2.
4: Yeah, 1.2 million worth of Model Ys that they want to tie up in cell production in 2024. So that means that they're pretty confident about their ability to scale. And yeah, so... And then taking this back to, okay, batteries are the limiting factor on the ability of auto manufacturers to convert their fleets to EV. And what Tesla just said is, so people, um, I'm gonna butcher this. There's somebody, I think it was a soft soap guy who he created the soft soap brand and he basically cock blocked the entire soap industry by literally buying up every little soap pump that (laughs) existed. Um, for like years and years and years. And so it's like his product was not differentiable. Uh, you know, anyone could have come along and made soap, but he was able to achieve incredible pricing power in the marketplace because he prevented any competitor from ever being able to come into his market and produce something that was equivalent because they couldn't get the pumps. Um, and so what Tesla's telling you right now is this is what we are doing with batteries. That we are going to buy basically every battery, you know, we're going to make every battery we can make, and we're going to buy every battery on the open market that we can buy to continue to scale production. And if, uh, and then we're going to do whatever we need to do in mining. You know, they've said that openly now. If they have to get into mining, they will get into mining, which means yes, they're getting into mining, and there's already plans to get into mining um, to make sure that they are not constrained by lithium itself. Um, and so, this just goes back to the fundamentals case that the batteries are the core physical component that's going to constrain the growth of our transition to sustainable energy. Tesla owns and will continue to own that, and they will figure out ways to profit from it at a rate that just dwarfs any other potential possible competitor. You know, competition is coming. Yeah, not likely. Um, <clears throat> But the one thing that I will go back and give the devil his due on on semi specifically is that a lot of people have rightly criticized the, uh, the mega or the, uh, warranty on the semi, I think is only goes out to 150,000 miles, which is pretty lame, uh, real world data. you know, If if they expect those batteries to be able to do 1500, oh, and it's only 70% degradation that they're guaranteeing at that 150,000 mile length. And you know, that's three years worth of use on an average truck. Um, if you have to replace a battery at 150,000 miles, it absolutely destroys the profitability models for semis. Now, the flip side of that is, yeah, we've got a lot of real-world data. The semi uses basically the same architecture and technology that we see in the threes and whys using 2170 batteries. It's a proven architecture uh, and it gets a lot better than that. And so, you know, even if you only give The range, if you say 350 miles is what you're using on average in the range of your pack and you multiply that by the 1500 cycles, you're still up over a half million miles. So real world should be much, much, much better than that warranty. But, you know, that's a lame warranty. And it would give me a little bit of pause as a fleet operator to say, yeah, I can just go all in on this with full confidence because... If I don't know what my battery replacement cost is going to be, that makes it a little bit harder for me to, to justify the, the math. And especially then if you add in, okay, not only that, but I also have to cover the overhead of installing my mega packs.
1: Yeah, uh, no, th- those, are, those are excellent points. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Ishan here uh, uh, to the panel. And then, hi, Ishan, how you doing? And then, Noah, I saw you come oh. off uh, mute as well. So if you want to go, then we'll go raw and then Ishan.
3: Yeah, I was curious if... Uh, this probably is more of a limiting factor, you know. Uh, shout out Jordan. Channel. Yes, shout out Jordan uh, Gisugi. But the thought of like, could we chart and figure out roughly from 2023 onward each year annually, how many um, batteries, you know, wh- how many Tons of batteries are needed at each stage, you know, in the growth up to um, 20 million vehicles a year uh, and what that estimate would look like. And then also if we reverse engineer that a little bit and look at the battery supply and try to see if the projections are matching up to that growth, um, because it could be the limiting factor, as
2: we all probably think. Mm -hmm. So I haven't done by tons. Um, I could probably make the conversion, but I've done it by the terawatt hours. Right. And um, one thing is I'm very confident about 2025 supply, up over two terawatt hours, maybe to three terawatt hours. The reason being is I've been following the um, uh, China production, um, CATL, S Asphalt had a thing last year or year before where they said that they're gonna get to 600 gigawatt hours by 2025. So, uh, and then there's, you know, six other major um, Chinese companies, you know, CABL, you know, BYD, et cetera. So they have uh, put in about $200 billion worth of um, capex thing to build up factories. And the um, LFP factory scale uh, two to three times faster than the nickel factory, they can just throw it on the factory, get it run up. And then, you know, the growth going from like 200 gigawatt hours to, to 800 gigawatt hours is, you know, they do it in two years versus four years for nickel or something like that. So they already spent the money. building the factories we went from 300 gigawatt hours to 600 gigawatt hours today you know this year so we're roughly doubling so 300 600 1.2 could be get to two to 2024 you know but maybe it takes 2025 um and then there's similarly um a fair number of 100 gigawatt hour things uh, over in europe Um, us now with ira is going to get to one terawatt fairly quickly whether that happens in 2025 or 2026 is unclear but uh, three terawatt hours seems pretty solid for 2025. So then the regular cars, you know, if it, you know, whatever more um, positive scenario, they get to 40 million total, right. Uh, uh, and 10 million of those would be tiny battery packs with the um, Chinese cars, then you're looking at one terawatt hour for cars, you know, maybe if you go to 1.5, if, if you have some Cybertruck scenario, so then you, need, you have this one terawatt hour sitting there for energy and for semis and stuff like that, right? I don't think there's a shortage of the batteries there. There's a how fast can you ramp the factories thing, even for, for Tesla? How fast can you stamp out more laser? You, they need to be popping them out, you need to be popping up more semi-factories. So in my scenario of success, beyond 50,000 uh, semis, they need to pop out more factories of the semi and of the the variety or expand them right it laid if they were low balling on it and they expanded you know can they get it to what they said the 4680 lines would have 200 gigawatt hours for um the 4680 where you have like seven super productive lines you know that hasn't happened yet but you know can they achieve that I believe the unit of factory for those things should be batteries 4680 200 gigawatt hours 200 gigawatt hours for the um, laser plant, 200 gigawatt hours for the semi plant, right? But anyway, so I don't think there's a battery shortage on that based on the what the uh, Chinese got to doing, right? And the fact that they're going to expand the U.S. production, right? The benchmark talks about six to 10, you know, been doing at six to seven now, but they've been upping it for 2030, right? So even if it's at six terawatt hours, again, it goes to who else had any plans they are going to use a terawatt hour? Right. Yeah. If if Tesla had the plans, I, you know, give me three terawatt, give me six terawatt, give me nine terawatt hours and whatever you can make there. I will take, you know, no one else had the big plan. Uh, BYD is next best. So they right now this year we're at 150 gigawatt hours for Tesla, um, 14 gigawatt hours per month. You know, probably this month we're at, you know, 16 something like that. BYD is half, even though they have, you know, more vehicles and more um, plug in hybrid vehicles with small packs their overall battery usage is about half or less. And they had buses, 70,000 buses over the last 10 years. right? So electric buses is a thing, but it's it's tiny. So again, it goes to stepping up in class to a big scale. And it's also like, if Tesla's at 150 gigawatt hours now, and the other guys are, the closest guy is at half, and then go down to the next guy below that at a quarter or a 10th the battery usage, how long did it take them to get to 150 gigawatts
1: yeah, yeah. right forever <laughs> richard go ahead These yeah right first point. i want
0: to say hello to ishan nice to have you here um so i, I was looking at the comments and uh, kind of related to this kind like three kind of points one is we've talked before and we haven't discussed it now but like the internal use and value to tesla of using the semi in its own business and how that will dramatically cut costs and increase margins um two i remember like when i was checking out the cost the all-in cost of the of the trucks for non-electric it was about two bucks per mile all in approximately and i think elon predicted it was gonna be a buck and a quarter at least starting off for the electric uh before you started to kind of reduce costs so that's a significant uh cost And three, and then this is part I saw in the in the chat, and I saw yesterday there was a rumor about uh, um, a, a giga plant being built in Nueva León in Mexico. And so in the chat, they were suggesting that that's maybe where the semi is gonna be mass produced in that plant in Mexico. Hmm. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Brian. In,
2: in terms of their fleet size, um, I saw recent recent, um think one of the youtubers might have been cleaner want saying that um, Tesla has just short of uh, a little over two hundred um, heavy trucks you know don't know the mix of diesel versus their own. Uh, but if let's just ballpark and say that their full need at one point five million cars is three hundred uh, semis. Then if you add if you scale up ten times to fifteen million cars, then you would have three thousand a demand for three thousand semis for internal use. And then if you add, you know, double or triple for energy and for other things, then you can get to, you know, a case for 9,000, <clears throat> uh, semis needed. However, for my scenario where i make projections and I adapted Farzad's, uh, spreadsheet on that. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a mistake that, that was. I'm kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> that in the 2026, 2027 tw- years that, if they scale semi the way they think they scale semi, you know, up to 4,000, up to 2 million, whatever, where they totally own that market and, and convert the world to it. And they, they, you have the mega going along with that, that the, uh, it could re- really be the startling situation where the other guys, uh, the other customers can't keep up. They'll still sell to other customers, but they need to step up and be their own energy company, be their own, um, uh, truck company, you know, particularly because like uh you know, e says we'll put six gigawatt hours of fixed storage by 2030, right? That's, you know, way too slow for the terawatt, multi-terawatt scenarios that Elon's talked about, and that I think is going to happen, right? So then that means that Tesla throwing off all this cash is the one that's going to be putting it in and also scooping up the, the tax credits on that. So, makes sense. yeah, I think, I think they have to, it's a question of when they must become, their own logistics, major company and their own energy company. Although I guess you could do it based on some kind of um, super leasing policy where you where you buy it and then you turn it over to the to the other customer where they say, OK, I, I build it, I buy it, I have the um, tax credit and now I turn it over to you so that you can operate it. because I don't want to be in that business. Right. Yeah. That could be another scenario where they do it, but yeah. maybe a major part to at least temporarily hold those assets. Makes sense. Ishan, go
1: ahead. How you doing, buddy? Hey, good, good, good.
5: So uh, a follow up to that uh, energy question. So uh, Tesla recently uh, has started like a, I guess a beta version of a VPP in Texas and will perhaps, uh, you know, keep adding to that across the globe. Now it begs the question, at this point in time, Tesla Energy has, net margins of, I think, less than 10%. But uh, with a VPP in place, there is the opportunity for margin expansion because then they can essentially skim off the top, right? Uh, when they're storing power and then selling it back, uh, a part of the proceeds go goes to the actual owner of, let's say, the power wall. Uh, and a part of it actually goes to te- Tesla Energy. Uh, so there's additional revenue that's coming in you know, at uh, zero incremental cost, which if you look at it at a scale point of view might actually become like a significant driver of uh, uh, profits and earnings, uh, right? You know, it falls directly to the bottom line. So uh, does anybody see a scenario where Tesla might, you know, from from both a uh, earnings point of view, from a profitability point of view, but also from making the most impact point of view actually divert uh, more supplies or a higher percentage of batteries to energy just for these uh, reasons and you know even at the cost of uh, you know not making 100% of the vehicles that they are capable of producing um, if it's to you know if, let's say uh, reduce dependence on coal which is probably the dirtiest um, you know, uh, source of energy that we have or reduce uh, dependence on natural gas where, you know, a lot of uh, wells that give us uh, natural gas they are essentially spewing methane into uh, the environment. And that's, you know, probably the second dirtiest and also uh, have like a, uh, say, aim of zero-peaker plants in the U.S., sort of a goal or a vision. So do you see at some point um, energy becoming a more important driver of, you know, this move towards sustainability than vehicles in the near future. And by that, I mean, 23 and 24. I
1: don't think about that, Brian.
5: I don't see that in 23, 24.
2: Um, One, you know, I I have my scenario where there's uh, abundance of batteries. So so they, especially if they ramp 4680. So I don't think they need to do that kind of um, choice thing. I do say, though, that the solar build out is also part of the um semi mega pack bundle that uh in order for me to fill up that mega pack you know because i'm only getting 300 kilowatts in from the from the um um, the grid then in 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 real circumstances then i must build on top of say my costco size uh, factory um i need to build out all that solar and put it over the, the parking lot in order to fill up more frequently and also there's benefits on that to, to manage you know my factory you know just like i can use my power wall and do virtual power plant you know the auto bidder, that kind of stuff so the economics of that are good but also just the physics of filling the um filling the the, the mega pack whether it's mine or whether it's a super tracking station it, it must be built out so and so that goes to not we're, we're replacing or adding the coal because if we look at, okay, all semi-trucks are replaced, however long it takes that's 17 million barrels per day of oil, right? So, you know, tossing that into coal plants or whatever like that, you know, it puts, you know, we're using all of the terawatt hours, almost all the terawatt hours that, we, that we're generating now. So that goes to, I need it localized. It's in the wrong spots. Even if I do have the powers in the wrong spots, I want it by the the Pepsi, factory i want it by the the walmart whatever i need to have the solar the, the pools of energy generating where i'm going to be dipping into it right so this shift of 17 the equivalent of, of electricity to, to for 17 million barrels of oil per day must go into solar all over right because i can't build out a natural gas and or, or the alternative fast enough anyway unless i'm China, but they don't want, want to do that. So if I'm adding net new, the fastest net new is, is solar, right? So and it's because it's in the in the wrong spots and because I need to suck two megawatts per, per hour out of where I want it to be, although I'm gonna levelize that over, you know, 24 hours instead of four, right? The whole um, electricity demand situation Forces these solutions out, right? So, so that's the the issue. But um in terms of prioritizing, again, using the the, the my adapted version of a farther thing. In my bull case, you know, energy becomes five times bigger than all cars and trucks, right? Because you're going to this ten terawatt thing, where ten terawatts, if it's the same price ratio, like forty gigawatts is twenty billion, um, because it's four megawatt hours to two million then 10 terawatts of energy, which Elon talks about all the time per year, that's $5 trillion, assuming the prices stayed the same, right? And that's bigger than uh, all the cars, all the trucks. um, And if you toss on solar and stuff like that. So, So the 300 terawatt change the world situation that he's talked about, you know, that means we've changed broad swaths of the grid. We've added to it. It's, it significantly changed the world. People kind of like run over that. Oh, 300 terawatts, yes, change. And what I see actually getting there is, you know, that we have to completely remake this grid to make that happen. Uh, Not completely, 20%, 30%. It's it's a significant uh, fraction. But that's a monster, monster thing if you realize how big it is. There's 55,000 substations in the United States. 3,000, you know, a few thousand power plants, 2,000, and then you have 55,000 transformer substations. So if you look at what, and that's just the United States, you know, Europe, China, huge, everywhere, right? So if I'm tossing a few mega packs at every substation and I'm tossing in solar and stuff like that, that's where this green world actually happens. And economically, right? Forget about
1: the, yeah, exactly. That's the part that's super exciting to me. Ishan and then Noah, go ahead.
5: Yeah. So uh, follow up to that. So the current grid that we have, it doesn't really have to change or increase capacity by a lot, right? Because what we are basically doing is while we are increasing our want for energy or the demand for energy, we are also creating these localized pools of energy, like you said, um, and the central large pools of energy generation is just an add on uh, or you know it's it's like a additional delta to what these localized pools of energy already have uh, just to either you know cut the peaks or to provide like a constant uh, stream that increases the baseline so my theory would be that uh, we don't really have to increase the capacity of the grids to the extent that some of us might be thinking, Uh, specifically because we are generating at location. And it's essentially, we have to, of course, uh, invest in uh, all of the infrastructure at a local level in a widely distributed manner, but that's already happening because we are installing solar and uh, uh, storage at location. So uh, that happens by virtue of uh, the, the shift to solar. Local solar, that is, and then the current grid could potentially just support uh, whatever additional demand there is from all of these individual buckets of. Uh,
2: the- right, right. You're adding on top. It took you, you know, many decades to make all your power plants. So, you know, in general, you don't want to throw them away unless you, you know, want to shut down coal or do do something like that. But that stays there. The grid stays there. It took you a hundred years to make the grid. You know, it took. 34 years to make it in China. so those things take a long time to make so you're adding on top this um, battery and solar in localized parts in the new places to do that and it's, it's more you're shifting that 17 million barrels of oil per day into solar electric battery right because that's what, that's that's the transition that you want to have although some of it can be coming from uh, other power, existing places something like that but you know broadly speaking, that's the transition that's that's happening no go ahead oh yeah so i was just going to kind of summarize so
3: like it seems like there's two perspectives one of them is like as renewables grow they won't at first at least won't be replacing coal but over time obviously it will and then the other thought is like the um growth of the grid doesn't need to ishan's point the growth of the grid may not outpace the supply of new renewables so then the opposite will happen. Whereas, like coal diminishes as renewables increases, so I guess it's the the two fundamental questions are: Do we think the grid power needs to increase over time? I, I think it will and needs to, um, and then will renewables outpace the supply of that
2: growth? That's to be determined.
1: Yeah. Um, so, the, let's so, there's a do... the, quick ahead,
2: point of that is that um, so the uh, coal is still being added globally. Like uh, China's still adding coal. Germany still went back to coal right? So there is still this shift toward that. They have added, you know, lots of um, of wind and solar, more wind in the United States than solar at this point, like about two to one, right? So if we're adding, you know, have um, you know, 300, I think I can get in that number, like I think we're up to a terawatt hour of, of solar and wind globally. Uh, sorry, a terawatt of generation and then, you know, whatever. Anyway, so the um there is a, actually a i think a 90 some terawatts of of generation of solar and wind in texas and they'd have to do stuff like because it's generated at the wrong time they have to curtail or waste like five percent where basically you shut down don't generate because they're going to overload the grid so there's a um a backlog demand to get more batteries and th- and other storage to hold that that power to, to firm it up and to get it instead of g- generating from 10 a.m to 4. PM when the sun is shining, I'm gonna go to that high peak time from six to nine. So there is this pent-up demand to get the grid uh batteried out to, to resolve the situations. And then we toss on this semi-storage world where we're adding um, more more solar. But it, it doesn't move the needle that hugely until you get to, you know, 10 million, 20 million cars a million trucks per year getting up to 10 million 20 million you know, you have to get to really big numbers before it the transformation uh, really happens
1: got it let's do hans then richard and then i want to sh- share a couple thoughts cuz this 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 um, this conversation has been very enlightening for me and, uh, and then if, uh, we can, uh, let's do a, a like a Q and a session at the end with the comments. You guys okay with that? You guys comfortable with that? Yes. not cool. So if you do have questions, drop a question in the comment section with a question before we pull it up, producer wife will only pull up the best, only the best Hans Richard, I'll give some thoughts and then we can sort of start going into Q and go ahead.
4: Yeah, I definitely subscribe to the uh, camp that says we really need to increase overall energy output just because that's a huge component of alleviating poverty. And so, you know, areas where we've seen poverty massively reduced over the past 10 years, you know, part of what's been happening there is also access to energy has gotten a lot cheaper for that segment of the population. Um, I think the incremental stuff that we need in the short term. Uh, unfortunately, the probably carbon fuels are going to be a, a big portion of that for, for the short term, just because the amount of growth that we need is gonna surpass the amount of lithium that's available to create the needed, you can't do the renewable sources without having the batteries, obviously. And um, yeah, so I, long-term, where we're going is that we'll use renewable sources. The marginal cost of renewable energy generation is going to zero. Um, and then the uh, transmission is a huge cost. And so, yeah, if you can, if you can substitute, you know, it does make a lot of sense at the net, you know, for a person, it may not make a whole lot of sense financially for you to um, install solar, on your house and get a power pack uh, or power wall for your house and do all that stuff for some people it makes sense for some people it doesn't depending on your overall energy cost and the price of that system but at the national level it makes a whole lot of sense to subsidize people doing that at the local level because if you've got local generation that means you reduce because the grid is not one thing the grid is two things the grid is not only large scale centralized power production, but it's also this massive infrastructure of power transmission. And so if you don't have to generate power in a centralized way, you can generate it closer to where it's being used, then that reduces your transmission cost. And transmission cost is something like half of the price of energy in most places. Um, And so for the government that's thinking about, okay, how do we moving forward, invest in our power infrastructure decentralized makes a lot more sense and you know this is another argument against things like fusion um, that centralized provides a lot of challenges that if you don't have to go that route then you should decentralize your production um, so that's the that's the thing that makes the most sense long term as long as our like Brian said earlier as long as our immediate needs to grow our energy production don't outpace, the, the batteries that are available to do that. And it's a lot of
1: batteries. Yeah. Richard, go ahead.
0: Yeah. So I learned a lesson when I was a young attorney, I used to see other attorneys go into court and the ruling would be preliminarily in their favor. And they still talked like they didn't know when to shut up. So there's five guys who are really smart above. who are talking about this subject and I have nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, here's here's my uh my takeaway and i saw Ishan you you posted a, a link so maybe uh and i clicked on it on the in the private chat if you want to pull it up on the as a screen share producer wife when you get a chance here here's here's what my takeaway is the discussion for the last call it half an hour or so was centered around batteries batteries right like how quickly can we get batteries? up and running as quickly as humanly possible. It's just batteries. Yeah, there's a semi thing attached to it. There is a mega pack thing, logistics. There's a lot of different sort of things attached to it. But the central core component here is batteries, 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 batteries. That sounds really boring to me. That sounds very boring, right? And because I'm like, I'm like looking at the mystic of Elon Musk, and I'm looking at full self-driving, and I'm looking at the bot, and I'm looking at uh the super cool cars and the cyber truck and so on and so forth but here here's my biggest takeaway there, there's there is a there's an engine of creativity there's an engine of mystique there is an engine of look at how cool this company is and then there is an engine of Elon Musk out there just buying twitter and being a crazy person right uh, a lot of people could argue but what is really happening here there is an economic force that's driven by who can create the most batteries as quickly as humanly possible, which is a one hundred percent an engineering problem. And as soon as the cost benefit of that technology becomes clear, then it's whoever who does who has the biggest scale to take it to take the biggest portion of the pie as quickly as humanly possible, and there's only one company I know of that can do that. And so there's all this excitement, like ninety percent of what Tesla is, it's this it's very exciting story that all of us are super excited about. But the underlying truth of this thing and master plan part three, which always gets lost, I always lose it in my head, is, is there's an economic transformation that's happening in the world, and there's a company that's going to secure the supply chain to ensure that it takes the largest share possible of that new future. That's it. That is what Tesla is. And I think if I view Tesla through that lens... Then I can truly separate out all the noise that's happening because then the equation becomes, do I really need, uh, and again, I'm not saying he should leave or should he, he should he should stay, but do I really need an individual that's creating a lot of noise, right or wrong, to complete that mission? And I would argue that's a big no with where we are right now because the talent has been accrued, the engine has been created. The fact that they're starting 4680 is a huge signal that says we are going all in into development of these technologies. Now the question becomes, show us the proof. Show us that you're building these factories. Show us that you're building these lines for the batteries. Show us that you're ramping up energy, right? And as that story continues to develop, then, then, the, then that's just going to play out. It's a matter of momentum, right? So that's my takeaway from this discussion. Uh, if you guys have any any uh, thoughts around that, let me know. Uh, but that's that's how I'm thinking about this whole. This was, I mean, this was so freaking educational for me, and I hope it was valuable for everybody too. But
2: that's my biggest takeaway. Any thoughts? I still want to, Elon to be totally involved in it, even though yes, you can get to fifty x the current size, 150 gigawatts up to you know eight gigawatts eight terawatts per year, uh, and you're making you know all that money. I still want Elon there. Um, um and even if you were to split off Tesla bot and that kind of thing so so yeah so um but I think that uh yeah I think that's the main comment on that that uh he still matters uh and that the noise is irrelevant like as you go up this 50x 100 x thing not just the share price I'm talking about the entire scale of the company that um and you're transforming the world that you know the people who don't like him because he's saying crazy stuff and then he's like, but you um electrified the world and you, you know, with your company and you've you've um helped the improve the economy because the There's the, a lot of dissonance. No, because the, the the economy is that 10% of the of the everything that we buy is, you know, if we don't have Amazon Prime, we're paying 10% on that roughly, right? So if that goes to 2% because I got uh, electric trucks and then even 1% if I'm going uh, automated robo trucks, right? I've given the world a 9% tax cut of, off of uh, uh, services cut off everything, right? So it's that kind of like clean up the energy, make the, the world richer kind of thing is like, and he also said some stuff, which may, also may need to be said. I'm not even going to say that that's, he shouldn't be saying that. I think he should be saying that. Right. So, um. Yeah, so I, I think that um, that's my view on
1: it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's the sort of like the overlap of the again the the mystique of the individual over a company that's just so fundamentally insanely sound, <laughs> and it's just just happens to be working on things that are gonna make a lot of people a lot of money. It's just it's and 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 those two things coming together, like what I get, what I, what I see is the dissonance. It's that dissonance, right? It's like, it's like individual who clearly is brilliant and is doing a lot of things is potentially pissing off a lot of people. But in reality is, uh, if you're thinking about it as an investor and you're thinking about it as somebody that's ultimately trying to create wealth, if that's the lens you're viewing through, like let's separate the lens of, Hey, if you're viewing him as, as an individual, as an idol, as a role model, because those two things are overlapping a lot. And th- And I think that's what's causing a lot of pain is that there's a big overlap. You know, for for myself, too, you know, like if if I view Elon as somebody that I'm aspiring to to be or somebody that's a role model for me and he's acting in a way that's like, "Wow, I didn't expect you to act in that manner, It crushes you a little bit, right? And I see that all everywhere. but in in the end, if if we're really investors, then it's important to put that lens on and view this whole story through that as well. And that's what discussion really helped me to refocus on. And uh, and then, yeah, we can talk about Elon as an individual, as a cultural person, as a role model, as somebody who's doing the right thing or the wrong thing, that's saying the right thing or the wrong thing. That's separate. It just so happens that that mystique is tied to a money-making machine. <laughs> and it's just like, how do we navigate through that? That's where we are. That's where we are today. So. Um, what a freaking discussion! Let's do Q and A. My God, I'm so grateful for y'all. Seriously, I love the Tesla community so much. Thank you, everybody, in the comments. Let's pull out some questions. Let's it's just some some tunage too in the background to uh, chill out the the vibe as well. That'd be awesome, Matt. Uh, thank you very much. Question: What does what does it say if Elon skips the? Q- Damn, that was nice. Uh, what does it say if Elon skips the Q4 earnings call, both if we beat and not? Uh, any thoughts there from the panel? Who wants to tackle that on?
3: Yeah, if it's a beat, then I think it's a confidence thing. Like, they've got it. It's cool. And if we don't beat and he doesn't show up, I think he's in trouble based off of what Richard was saying earlier, too. Um, but honestly, e- either way, um, I, I I think Elon, it would be better if he was there, I think, overall.
1: Any other thoughts?
2: I think there's zero chance he's not there. He's, he's missed one earnings call, right? I'm mistaken. He missed one, so that oh, I'm gonna skip earning calls. That was another Elon lie. You know, so, so. <laughs> I don't know is if anybody I'd call
3: else? it a lie. Maybe just like a oh, this is what I was thinking at the time. That's changed.
2: True. I, yeah, I, yeah, I would. yeah,
0: I would say that um, he absolutely, positively, one hundred and seventy-two percent has to be there if they miss because he's gotta protect his legal position. So he's gonna have to, and I'm like speculating, but let's say, you know, it's terrible. He's gonna have to justify that he didn't know about it, that it occurred recently, that it's not out of his control because that's his legal defense. So he has to be there if it's down. If it's up, I would prefer if he doesn't show because that would again show confidence in the existing management other than him and would be a positive uh, catalyst in my opinion
5: right i probably say that regardless of it being a beat or a miss elon needs to be there on the call uh for the very simple reason that this quarter uh the stock has taken a beating and a large part could potentially be attributed to uh, him him selling really so he's he's gonna have to come on and sort of answer that question And uh, I think the poll that, you know, we guys did uh, just said that 65% attribution to Elon and probably the rest to macro. Uh, What this essentially means is that people are expecting. Having said that, I'll also say that uh, Elon, I believe, feels a responsibility to be on the call if it's a miss. So he'll be there. If it's a beat and a significant one at that, he doesn't want to be on the call. That's not like, you know, how I would guess he's uh, thinking. And um, by not showing up, even if it's a, a beat, what he's basically telling all all of the retail investors especially is that, hey, uh, I'm no longer interested in engaging you guys because he has not really, if you think about it, engaged Tesla shareholders in the context of being Tesla shareholders, right? He's been uh, extremely engaged with everybody in the context of Twitter, but not as Tesla shareholders. So it at, at some level, it sends out that subtle message. But I also believe that Elon doesn't either get those messages or care about it. So,
4: Hans, Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I was thinking. You know, I he has to be, I agree. He has to be on if it's a miss. Um, if it's a beat and he's not on, that's a great message for execution. That's a terrible message for public perception that the narrative is he's moved on to Twitter. He doesn't care about Tesla. And from a PR standpoint, not being on the call, even on a beat would confirm that message. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to see that. Even if it's a beat, I want to see Elon on this call. Period.
1: That's fair. I, I, if I were, I, I'm going to add just a little bit of a variable there. If you know, if I'm in his shoes and I'm trying to move the spotlight away from me and more onto Tesla and to allow them to actually move the story forward, regardless of how it's perceived, if there is a beat and say it's a significant beat and he's not there, then that could be the signal that says I am starting on that journey of like, hey, I'm separating myself from the story and I'm going to let the positives speak for themselves by the team. Right. But I I think I agree that I think he's there regardless because I do think he hears it, um, some of the frustrations and pain. And, you know, he has openly said that he has a moral obligation to be the leader of Tesla. And so uh, I think he would do that. But if he doesn't show up on a big beat, I personally I have to think through it because this is a fascinating question. And I think everybody's going to be very, very, very curious to see what he does. But um, if I were a betting my, man, I think he should.
2: My, my opinion is that he's on the next eight um, calls, you know, like up into 2024. There's just too much going on. Even if the, we get to, back to all-time highs, it, it won't matter. He, he'll have to be there because one, too much stuff is going on. And then uh, this drama, you know, he can't not be there, you know, so yep. at least eight. I would say there's a, a chance of one in ten. Maybe in twenty twenty five everything's going great. We've tripled five five X, whatever, and then we have something where it doesn't call. But um I think the 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 chance of, of not being on for the next year and a half is just like zero again. got it.
1: Appreciate that. All right, yeah. next question. Okay. Oh sorry, sorry, Richard. Yeah. Please I was
2: say I
0: think it would be an interesting question. So you had a poll here of basically Tesla, Tesla bulls. The attributed uh, responsibility 6535 to elon it would be interesting to ask non-tesla bulls how what they attributed the drop in to see if the perception of elon was the same as us who are like super hyper focused on them it would be interesting
1: nice Any any tesla bears that are watching this i would love for you to run the poll on your channels and let me know what the results are let's partner on this come on let's come together kumbaya next question Great, that's such a great thought. Uh, thank you very much. Where is Master Plan Part Three? That's a. I, I'll just go ahead and answer this, and we'll we'll do the next one. I would I would recommend you uh, watch this video starting around the one hour mark. Um, uh, Brian gave a just a, an amazing breakdown on how he views this playing out. Uh, I would highly recommend you do that, and hopefully that answers your question. Uh, my God tells me that it will. Uh, but thank you so much for the question. Let's do the next one, Raymond. Given recent news and fusion, should Tesla create R&D as a long-term pro- project to supplement renewable, Tesla engineering skills will be key towards commer- commercialization. My God. Uh, who wants to take this one?
2: I'll take that one. So I happen to, um, so my website, um, Next Big Future, I've written over 30,000 articles on deep technology, you know, space, uh, energy, nuclear fusion, AI. That's it? Just 30,000? Yeah, over 30,000 in about 15 years. <laughs> And uh, I track nuclear fusion super duper closely. OK, I have a list of over 20, you know, a little spreadsheet, over 20 nuclear fusion projects. Um, I know how much they're funded. I know how they're working on it. I t- I've talked to several of the, of the companies, the CEOs, CTOs and stuff. So I'm all in on, on nuclear fusion. OK, so first, the recent um, news, the, the ignition thing by the National Ignition Facility. So that is unfortunately not a huge step toward, oh, we're finally gonna get close to commercialization, okay? It's um, a little over three megajoules out uh, uh, from two megajoules in. But in and out of what? In and out of the capsule. So the, the photons that are hitting the capsule and then release an, a little bit of energy. So it's a big deal. It, it took them time. They were at 70% last year. Now they're at 120 some percent. Okay. So if you could capture one megajoule, you can't, you know, but let's say you could, one megajoule. That is enough to run your hair dryer for 30 minutes. Okay. In order to scale this into something that's generating power, I must do one 100 times more in and out. I must lay photons onto the capsule of, you know, two megajoules and then get out 200 megajoules in order to have a chance to have all the efficiencies balanced out to a net positive generation, right? Then I must go from one capsule every month, every few weeks, into uh, 10 capsules a second, okay? I must do 10 capsules a second, I must do like a, mil- a little under a million per day, right? In order to get my gigawatt fusion reactor, okay? The National Ignition F- Facility, you know, built over 20 years ago is for, um, research around making sure that our nuclear stockpile works that is its purpose its side purpose is to do this other stuff right but the main purpose is for that other thing there is no way that they can get to a commercial um fusion thing they have floated the idea of um uh, lift i think a lifetime inertial fusion fusion where they say hey give us 100 billion dollars or give us you know like 20 billion dollars and we'll work on this thing and adapt it whatever that would be just them coming up to the trough like the Tokamak project, which has been running since um, Reagan and Gorbachev, right? Which is going to also make nothing. Okay. It's going to not get to commercial fusion. Because also, not just getting to commercial fusion, it'll also be cheaper than solar, cheaper than uh, fission, cheaper than whatever for it to make a difference, right? Because you have clean power from nuclear fission. Right, we get um, 2,600 terawatt hours per year, clean from from nuclear fission. Okay, um, the other thing is that uh, fission is just easier, right? Um, I can go to that. 1960s or whatever, 1950s, we had the first, you know, powering a, a town from uh, from nuclear fission, uh, and none, and we haven't even lit up any light bulbs from nuclear fusion. That being said, of those 20 nuclear fusion projects, the ones that I'm most excited about. HB 11 in Australia using lasers by using pulsing, uh, using certain effects where they can uh, create a, um, uh, a super strong magnetic field, um, about, um, a hundred times, 200 times stronger than the, the, the magnetic fields in a particle accelerator, the, the biggest particle accelerators or whatever, or the, the biggest, uh, nuclear fusion things. So the effects, the physics that they will be leveraging would be far stronger. It'd be a pair of lasers doing it. I can go into the details of that, but I don't think you want to go to it. So there's them, there's Helion Energy in Washington state. Um, so they are doing, again, pulse fusion. They, they cake, create the plasma donuts and they slam them together at uh, greater than the speed of sound. So there's several things there that I think have a shot, but it's like, it's-
1: Decades away, sounds
2: like. Mere, no, not necessarily decades away, they can do it soon. They can do it within the end of this decade, maybe. If things come together, but there's a shot at it with miracle um, levels of uh, technology and science different from what's going on here. It's a good thing, though, that they proved ignition with lasers. That shows that the guys who are doing this other method, HP 11, using lasers can say, hey, look, uh, we have a scientific proof that this thing has that. That's the main benefit that the other methods can point to it, other laser methods, about four or five other using lasers, which can say that worked. Our thing that can scale can then work. Give us a billion dollars and we'll get there. Right? So the, sure. they some of them have already got the money.
1: So. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, that, that, really love that so, their explanation. Go ahead, Ishan
5: Yeah, so the non-technical or the layman view of nuclear fusion is the promise of unlimited free energy in, i mean it's not technically correct but that's the vision or the promise uh i love the uh the way jamal uh, on the you know all in podcast actually talked about this which is that every time there has been this massive effort to you know to go from the currency to the next big state as in this has been because there has been no choice for example we uh you know computers uh we were essentially calculating by hand so there was the need to invest a lot of money to commercializing computers for everyday use and uh, to to gain that kind of benefit the same thing with the human genome project right i mean it cost a hundred million dollars to sequence the first genome. today we can do it in like you know an hour and a hundred dollars so <clears throat> so uh we didn't have an alternate but how Shamath puts it and he's right that with nuclear fusion, we already have a way of harnessing nuclear fusion. And that's, you know, solar panels and the reactor up there in the sky, in the space. So, uh, what is that, this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and when it comes to the cost, right? I mean, the cost of harnessing nuclear fusion today is around uh, three cents per kilowatt hour. And there's a path to uh, about one and a half cents per kilowatt hour which is as close to you know uh the concept of free power as you can get if you think about it from a logical point of view um and you can do it locally such that your transmission losses are not as high so you're saving there as well whereas if you would have to commercialize this it would most likely again be centralized power generation followed by a grid based distribution right so then there are losses there as well uh, that we've got to contend with now, uh, and if you add on like uh, batteries, uh, the cost of batteries, etc., that's uh, the entire system is a, uh, is projected to be, uh, you know, costing around three cents per kilowatt hour. You know, solar plus batteries, local plus uh, centralized to uh, sort of have all of uh, humankind's needs. So that's you know that's the biggest uh, roadblock to actually commercializing. This, uh, you know, uh, nuclear fusion on Earth, of course, I mean, if you want to build hyperdrive motors and then, you know, jump through space time and everything, perhaps it's it's something that's required, but I don't think that's happening in the next decade. So that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks, right? The next thing uh, that's important to know is uh, Tony Siba, uh, his research essentially tells us that all of humankind's energy needs right be it transportation be it manufacturing be heating and cooling be each and every energy need that human has today is going to be covered by about four to seven x the generation capacity that we have today and he's laid out a path to actually getting there at a cost of two to three trillion dollars um and if you think about it the ira the budget that was expected Uh, for it was essentially two trillion dollars so if you get rid of ira if you put in and we're talking about the us right now you spend that entire amount of money on just purchasing solar panels and batteries and installing them the us could potentially move to a 100 percent uh renewable electric power supply which is two to three times the generation capacity that we have today and it's essentially going to be Extremely cheap, and this is what he, uh, Tony siba calls sh- hyper-abundant superpower, right? So, when we already have access to such uh, technologies enabling such cheap energy, the commercial, uh, you know, uh, viability of investing uh, in a project like this, the amount of money it's going to take to commercialize this technology will probably not give the kind of ROI in today's world as we might be thinking. But of course, you know, if Elon does it and he has some crazy ideas about unlocking new futures that we can't think about, well, we can't think about that.
1: Yeah, those are excellent points. Go ahead, Hans, and then uh, we'll wrap it up here.
4: Yeah, the I would just say that Tesla should probably at some point deep in the future, devote some resources to this, but it should be after they devote resources to commercializing solid state batteries. Which is also deep in the future at this point, still. Um, like that's the commercial viability equivalent that we're looking at. This is what happened was the proof of concept of a proof of concept for commercially viable fission or fusion reactions. Um, and so it's it's still squarely in the realm of this needs to be research that's done at the government level uh you know this is another reference to the all in podcast this morning between chamath and uh and friedberg on on this fission development or fusion gosh fusion development um so definitely highly recommend people go watch that um but yeah so they we have a commercially viable solution in our hands right now and the path from theory to commercially viable is so incredibly difficult and they need to spend all of their energy on scaling the currently commercially viable option and until these other technologies progress like way down their technology trees than they are right now they don't deserve any investment from companies that actually operate in the realm of building real things that
1: actually make real differences in real people's lives today. Perfect. Brilliant, said. Thank you all so much. Let's pull up this uh, super chat here from Josh. My goodness, twenty dollars super chat. This goes in the beer fund. Anytime I meet you guys in person, um, you get free beer. And Josh has bought you a beer. Thank you very much, Josh. Uh, at the peak of negative sentiment, you are all doing an incredible job pushing forward and keeping the community together. Thank you all for what you do. Josh, that's an incredibly kind thing. I mean, ultimately, that's the that's the panels, that's the panel here, and everybody in the community, everybody that's on YouTube, everybody that's on Twitter, um, everybody at Tesla elon everybody's included in this whole thing right it's this is a this is a giant <laughs> it's a giant ship but this ship gets goes through some freaking rough sea sometimes boy you know uh i, I made a tweet <laughs> what was it uh do you guys remember the time that joe rogan went on or uh, Elon went on joe rogan sp- smoked some pot in the middle of tesla maybe going bankrupt remember that <laughs> yeah that's uh we're back to that a little bit here but uh Seriously, though, I can't thank the panel enough. My goodness. This was a very, I think it was a very needed discussion. I hope the community, uh, I hope anybody watching really that wants to learn more about what's going on with Tesla and Twitter and Elon Musk and and wants to get into investing and they're trying to find opportunities. Ultimately, the goal of these panels is to bring value to the community. It's to bring value to the panelists. And so we can all navigate whatever's happening uh, in in this current day and age, uh, uh, this current day and age together, so that we can make the best decisions possible for ourselves and for uh, those of us that are uh, that are with us. So, uh, just real quick around the panel, any last thoughts? Plug anything you have. Noah, we'll go with you, and then we'll go Raw, Ishan, Brian. Hans. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, thanks for the great discussion. I, I would love to see. I don't, I don't know if this is a farzad thing or just in our community. Um, and in retrospect of like looking back over 2022 and what were the catalysts that drove the stock up and down. Right. So like a reflection on that, but then also looking at 2023 and predicting what catalysts will come. Uh, and that would be kind of a cool annual thing to do, um, for in our community, but maybe even on an individual level of like what's pushing up and down, what's working, what's not working from a global perspective around Tesla. And then to also kind of look back and see if your predictions were accurate for the year before. So.
1: We'll see. it's a great thought great thought somebody should steal that Ra, go for it
0: yeah i just wanted to re- wish everybody a great and happy and healthy weekend and my just re- from reviewing the comments the stream of comments the uh, stock sentiment is so low that we got to be near the bottom so i think i'm optimistic that that sentiment reflects the cycle of uh the stock cycle and we are near bottom and we're we have bright blue skies ahead of us.
1: Beautiful. Jenks, just kidding. Go ahead, Ishan.
5: (laughs) Yeah, so uh, my daughter's uh, school has already gone into uh, Christmas break. So she's got about two and a half weeks off. So if any of you, your kids uh, are on break already or are gonna go on break this week, happy holidays. Nice.
1: Thank you very much, Brian.
5: Yes, so yeah, I think
2: we still may have um, four more months uh, where things are disappointing, but I think um, we'll get a pretty good um, January to help stabilize some things, and then April—that's when things I think really start kicking in. Um, and with what does the IRA do? Uh, how much do we can we benefit from FSD? This energy scale, and that repeats throughout 2023 and beyond. And at the very point of them, I'm super stoked about how um semi energy and executing on that it can just be can just be insane so bad now but you know it's not that long until i think the cloud's clear and then next big future is my website and my youtube channel um so it'd be great if people can follow me there
1: awesome thank you brian yeah you've been an excellent addition here thank you so much uh hans wrap it us wrap it up for us
4: I just want to say yeah, I'm incredibly honored to get to participate in this discussion here with everyone today. It was fantastic. Um, I
1: absolutely loved it. And you know I wish everyone happy holidays. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. And last but not least, producer wife. Great job today. Thank you so much. Give yourself a round of applause. You've killed it. Love you so much. Uh, and yeah, thank you to everybody in the comments. Excellent discussion today. Uh, and I hope you, you you took some value away. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. Happy holidays for those of you that are celebrating. And we'll see you uh, next time. Take it easy, everybody. Love you guys. Bye.